Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit in Tel Aviv. Israel, the startup nation, a global cyber power launching satellites and intercepting rockets in mid-flight, a country which gave birth to the Waze Navigator app, to the Discon Key, and the mobilized self-driving systems. This is the same country that has been unable to crack the code to effective public diplomacy despite decades of establishing government ministries and committees and issuing reports and plans. Mention the words public diplomacy or Hasbara in Hebrew, and you hear a sigh of frustration and resignation. Israeli Hasbara is not a luxury. It's a vital need, perhaps even an existential one. Modern wars are no longer decided only on land or in the air. Victory or defeat is as much a question of image, of public awareness. Israel is a complex, complicated entity that has to explain itself and fight for its narrative on an almost daily basis. Every round of fighting with Gaza finds Israel bleeding in the public relations arena, vanquished in a fight that probably cannot be won. Every day seems to bring a new challenge. How to explain why Defense Minister Gantz outlawed six Palestinian groups as terrorist organization when they themselves insist they are dedicated to human rights? How to defend the decision to bring down a high rise in Gaza housing international media outlets? Even the NSO spyware affair refuses to go away with no one talking the trouble to explain how important the company's products are to the fight against terrorism and what kind of control, if any, the Israeli firm has over the use of its software once it's sold. The new Israeli government has uh, pushed through a budget, almost guaranteeing its political survival for the next uh, two years, but it faces a host of challenges in the public diplomacy arena, including its refusal to allow the U.S. to open a consulate for the Palestinians in Jerusalem, the ongoing battle against the anti-Israel boycott movement and their powerful allies within the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, the ongoing effort to prevent an American return to the nuclear deal with Iran, the continued battle over the narrative of Israeli settlements and control of Judea and Samaria, and we haven't even mentioned the fallout from an almost inevitable new round of fighting with Gaza. Our guest today served for 25 years in public diplomacy posts on the battlefields in the trenches and tunnels of the battle for world opinion. Reserve Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner was the international spokesperson of the Israel Defense Forces, a familiar face and voice in foreign media outlets for over two decades, a participant and witness to all the wars and Hasbara failures and successes. He joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms.
And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Now I'm uh, very happy to say hello and welcome my uh, colleague, Peter Lerner. How are you doing? And thank you for joining us here in, uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. It's a great opportunity to join your show. Okay, so um, I'll ask you first an overall question. Uh, how do you explain the fact that Israel is uh, immensely successful in highly sophisticated fields such as cyber, high-tech, satellites, rockets, intelligence, etc., but fails time after time in public diplomacy. Maybe our case is just too difficult to explain properly? Well, that's, obviously, I think that's the fundamental question that everybody who's involved in communicating for Israel um, over the course of our history has always asked themselves. I don't believe that that's the situation. I would say that in Israel, um, we, we are very good in improvisation. We are fantastic with innovation and solving problems on our toes. toes. But public accountability is very limited. Um, it seems that our, when our founders appealed to, in the Declaration of Independence to the nations of the world, to help upbuild the Jewish state and receive Israel into the comity of nations, that Israel since then isn't really willing to do its part to be a member of the family. Um, accountability, responsibility, transparency, they're all core components of belonging. So I don't necessarily believe that um, we are uh, failing, but I think there is a lot more that we can do to do it better. I believe that we do have a hard case to make, but there are basically three target audiences that uh, all of our efforts should be focused on. First of all, and primarily would be the decision makers, those politicians, the diplomats, those elected officials that have huge influence on whatever is going on uh, on the day. Um, secondly, it's those that are either indifferent or underinformed about Israel and the goings on of our situation. And I would say that, that that is the vast majority of the world's population. They just they don't know or don't care. And we have to either give them the information or make them care because of relatable issues. And finally, it's our key supporters, those that are the amplifiers of Israel's message. So the real question isn't, is our case too difficult? But what is the extent of, our, of the Israeli campaigns? Who, who do they target? And how do they operate in times of crisis? Because I think that is probably the, the biggest challenge. The news coverage, is, as you know, Ben, the news coverage of Israel in global media is like the sea. It has its low tide and high tide. When nothing is going on in the, in the low tide, we get very little coverage. But when there's conflict or, or controversy, political up, up, upheavals, we're at the top of the hour. So in principle, we need to be building understanding, relationships during the low tide, and operationally ready for the crises in the high tide. 
It's a, it reminds me that the catch-22 situation, whenever they talk about us, it's a bad sign, but, but let's go and try to dive into examples and details. Let's One second, before, perhaps, perhaps okay. before we dive in, you know, there's another, another point that I think has become core over the last probably 10 years, but even more so in the last five years. And I think the, all of Israel's international communication over the recent years has been called, be, become what I call Bibi-centric. He's been the main presenter. He's the social media influencer. He is the representative of the product called, is, called Israel, at least up until the last elections. So the entire support efforts of the diplomacy and communications were attuned to him, his needs, the messages he wanted to convey. Um, the best example of that, obviously, is the Iranian nuclear archive that, that, that he presented, and he was the, the, the showman, and he was the salesperson of the message. The question is, was it accepted? Because when you talk about Bibi Netanyahu, if you support him or not, you cannot deny that he is the, the master of communications. He is very charismatic, verbal. Uh, he is the perfect presenter of Israel, or, or, or am I wrong? I believe he has very good communication skills. I think it, he is always, his communication was always attuned to who is he trying to convince. So those that were under-informed or didn't care were not part of his core audience. He was either speaking to his core audience in, in the Israeli public or specific members in the, in the international community that would help reinforce his positions. So the problem is we don't have enough support in the, in the bulk of uh, the global community or the bulk of global public opinion. In our, and weak, if our weak points are not uh, are not strong enough, and we don't do anything to to strength, strengthen it. Uh, did I did I say it right? I think I think I agree with what you're saying. I think there needs to be a focus on on the fringes of our support in order to broaden our support constantly. And the fringes aren't the people that will automatically raise up and and um, applaud what Israel is doing. You need to give them more of an more attention. So before, obviously Netanyahu was a, a so, great so, so I, I'm going with you. And before going to, to the to the examples, maybe follow-up question. Do you see now, I think four or five months after Netanyahu is no longer the, the prime minister and, and the communication, Israeli communication is not not longer BB centric. Do you see a change? Do you see a different style? Uh, we also the the meeting between Prime Minister Bennett and uh, President Biden when they declared that they will not uh, fight publicly, not uh, you know the the dirty laundry will be done inside the room. Do you see something happening, or it's the same, just without Bibi? I think um, we haven't had a huge crisis to test it, and I think. Um, what we need to do in times of calm when there is no crisis is actually build that response, that rapport, rapport with uh, international leaders, with the global leaders. I think we also saw it in the COP26, I think, in, in Glasgow. So we do see a beginning of a, a leadership. Uh, and we've also seen that we've seen other ministers being spokespeople for the state of Israel. So you saw Tamar Zandberg, we've seen Merav Michaeli, we've seen Yair Lapid, and you've seen more other people. It's not central around one individual, but obviously the prime minister is, is a core component of communicating for Israel. So I think it's still a bit early to see 
if it will be successful, I think we still haven't, it hasn't been tested in crisis, uh, in international crisis too much. Um, what we have seen with the incident around the six human rights organizations, it didn't seem to be managed at all. Yes, at I'm going level. to touch it uh, separately, but for, let's, for, let's uh, sure. go first to the example of the event in London last week. I'm not sure many of, uh, for example, the American listeners know what we're talking about. Our ambassador in London, Tsipi Khotovelli, uh, she's from the Likud and the, the new government did not replace her. We have to, to, to emphasize this. She took part in an event in the London, London School of Economics and was met outside. The event was good, but outside she was met by BDS activists, forcing her uh, security detail to, uh, to rush her into a waiting car. The incident went viral and boycott activists celebrated their so-called victory uh, uh, all night long. Israel was silent. How would you have handled it uh, differently? So here's what we know. We know that Ambassador Hotoveli was heckled as she came out of her speech in the LSE. She was rushed away by her security detail after she'd completed the event and according to her schedule, basically. The crisis, in my view, is divided into two different portions. First of all, the security event that basically lasted a few seconds. And the second event is the public or media crisis that developed immediately afterwards and lasted several hours uh, and even meant several days. Like many things in this day and age, media crisis emerged from social media and quickly spread overnight to the traditional media. There are two possibilities to understand how the embassy dealt with the media. First of all, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs attitude towards BDS is basically let's ignore them in order not to, in, in order not to give their campaign any steam. Uh, and the other, the other component, the other possibility is, and this is where what I believe is the situation, the embassy didn't understand in real time that they, were, they needed to be in crisis mode. In both case, the em cases, the embassy needed a contingency, one responsive and the other offensive, if you want to take it on the forward foot. I feel that it was a missed communications opportunity to show that BDS were violent, they're anti-freedom of speech against the two-state solution and definitely not peaceful activists. Um, and the second observation that I have in the aftermath of this event, that both most of the media, the media activity conducted by Ambassador Hotoveli was actually in Hebrew to the Israeli media. Um, we did see some in the Jewish press, the UK Jewish press, but also and also um, later on in, in some of the newspapers, but mostly and extensively in the Israeli press. And this perhaps underlines the problem of nominating politicians and not professional diplomats to ambassadorial positions. I, I would have uh, tried to, first of all, un understand that you're in any crisis situation. The, the most important moment is you realize that you're in a crisis. She drove away at the end of the event. I think that they didn't understand that they're in crisis mode. By the time it went viral, it was already late in the evening. They'd already gone to sleep. And, you know, you woke up here in the morning in, in, in Tel Aviv or in and, Jerusalem, and, and it was all over the place. It all was the everywhere, and there was no response. was done by the other was, side. But generally speaking, if you're talking about the BDS, do you think Israeli uh, uh, ways to handle this movement is, is, uh, is efficient? Uh, you said we are ignoring it. Maybe maybe try to confront it? What, what would you say, or, or if you uh, should uh, plan 
the strategic Israeli plan vis-a-vis uh, -vis the BDS, what would you, would you do? Well, I would say you need to be prominent when, they, when they're trying to be prominent. If they're heckling you outside an event and it deteriorates into a situation where you need to be rushed off, then you can't ignore them, no matter what the policy. I don't think the, the, a, a policy of ignoring the issue that they're trying to talk about has been, has been uh, uh, effective along, along the years. You need to constantly create an alternative narrative to what they're talking about. If they're talking about boycotting and divesting and, and sanctions against Israel, you need to say why this is bad for peace in the region, why this will never promote a, 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 a dialogue, not necessarily relating specifically to them, but there needs to be an alternate uh, narrative, a counter-narrative um, that, that relays the Israeli position on the issues that they're, um, they're trying to promote. They've not been over-successful, but I do believe that you can't ignore them because when you ignore them, you're not giving, you're not putting anything in the way of their claims that is helping them rally uh, politicians and uh, congressmen and women and, 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 and members of parliament around the world. So you need to be able to create, to convey your alternative narrative to what is going on in a timely, relevant manner. So we've because, in, because in if you don't years, do it, you wake up one morning and suddenly you, you hear or see Ben and Jerry's declare that they will not, will stop sell their ice cream in the West Bank. So and now it's sophisticated or, or it's complicated because they're not boycotting Israel, uh, uh, traditional Israel uh, in the uh, what we call the Green Line, but only the, the the occupied territories. And so, how can you tackle this? Absolutely. I mean, individual boycotting and and. Uh, divesting is an issue that Israel needs to have a, a crisis communications plan. I would try and be ahead of the, the, the wave before it actually formulates into these uh, real actions, but you need to have a plan of action. And again, like so many cases, Israel seems to wake up in the situation and they didn't realize it's happening beneath their nose. Um, obviously, we, we heard from the owners here in Israel or the, the distributors here in Israel, that they've been talking with the company for several years about the continuation of their uh, agreement with Ben and & Jerry's. And because they've been uh, distributing to the territories, uh, to Judea and Samaria, then they, uh, they were told that they would be no longer distributing through them. Um, so there is a way to know that this is happening and you need to have a communications effort, a, a diplomacy effort in order to convey, again, what is it Israel wants? You know, we don't want, this is, you sell ice cream, you sell, you sell peace. You know, ice cream is one thing we can all agree on. It's good for everybody. And we have a, we have a solid case, but uh, I understand from you that uh, unlike the, the military issue, in uh, public diplomacy, we don't, we don't use uh, preemptive strikes, but uh, we have a solid case. You, know, you, can, you can explain that uh, there were a, a, a very, a, not a few, peace offers during the years from Clinton, from Ehud Barak, from, from uh, of course, uh, Rabin and Peres, and from uh, Ehud Olmert, and even Benjamin Netanyahu. And the refusal, uh, refusing side was the Palestinian side. They, they could have their own states many times till now. But, but, but let's go uh, forward, because this is an issue that in your uh, previous uh, job you should uh, dealt with. And I'm talking about the designation of six Palestinian groups as terrorist organizations, Israel came uh, in for harsh international criticism from Washington, 
two, although it has solid intel on these groups, is this a case of faulty public diplomacy or did Gantz go too far and instead of designated specific suspected terror activists, made a blanket decision about six entire groups? So I think that this is a, a event is representative of the institutionalized problem that there is no conductor for the public diplomacy orchestra. Uh, these six organizations that are heavily linked through leadership, financial ties to the PFLP, to the Palestinian uh, uh, Front for the Liberation of Palestine, uh, but they're also celebrated by the West, by the UN, human rights community. To me, it appears that this was a process that was in automatic, um, and the designation of the six just went through the motions, as if they were another charitable organization front for a terrorist organization. The question here is who is the public diplomacy tsar? Who is managing it that has the broader picture and how does official Israel utilize the system to mitigate the, ex uh, objected, uh, the expected objections? I would have advised that the government lay an ultimatum on the six organizations, telling them that they need to disengage from the PFLP or they will be dis uh, designated. Um, at the same time, there needed to be preemptive activities indeed to share the intelligence with the US, with the UN, with the EU, with European leadership co leading countries, and also to the core donors of these organizations. Um, add to that a, the need for a, a social media campaign about the PFLP and how they are abusers of human rights. And, and, and finally, I would say, don't do the drastic thing of publishing the designation on a Friday afternoon before official Israel goes to sleep in, for Shabbat. If you, create, if you put it out on Friday, then you're not going to have any spokespeople answering, answering questions until Saturday night. So again, you've ceded the playing field to the opposition that will rally and, 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 and cry out without any facts or any counter argument about what's going on. So whether you've you, the need to designate these six organizations um, is there, you need to have a whole, I would say, arsenal of spokespeople, information, memes. It all needs to be very, very planned out. It can't be left to chance because it's not just another reality. There's a whole international community that will rally and indeed did rally behind the six organizations that if it would have done been done with a bit more sophistication, I believe a lot of the noise perhaps would have just been uh, communications noise but from policy and from, from decision-making processes, I think it would have been a lot, been a lot easier for Israel because you know, th th these, this organization is a terrorist organization. If he is using human rights organizations, that's a travesty, that needs to be, that needs to be said. So this, these organizations, if they don't want to be connected to terrorists, they need to detect, them, detect themselves, uh, detach themselves from them. Yeah, it's strange that the responsible about uh, the, uh, the, the dealt with this uh, failure is the Ministry of Defense, not the IDF. But uh, yeah. as, a, as a person that, uh, that was uh, served 25 years in the IDF and was the, the, the chief of inter international uh, communication for the IDF, do you think the IDF has shifted gears and updated its public diplomacy warfare? The IDF is active on social media using all the latest buzzwords and TikTok humor. Is this enough or is there some code uh, that we have yet to crack? So I, when we talk about military, the IDF is usually compared to other militaries. 
Um, and I would say, and you know, even the Guardian, the UK, the British Guardian, um, identified the IDF social media activities as pioneers of social media. Um, so, but but their main goal, the IDF's main goal, is to make sure that they are relevant, relatable, and while building a support base to to become a trusted source of information in times of crisis. The balance of information and entertainment is critical. If you are only humorous, you become a joke and you don't want to be a joke, you want to be a relevant source of information. Um, I think that the IDF has the tools and it has the ability also to be on par with the media and social media environment. The media battle space is like every uh, battle space. You need to determine the de desired outcome, the specific we weapons you want to use and the delivery mecha mechanism. But the IDF is only one instrument of the orchestra. When communicating to the world, the IDF must not be the main communicator of, it, of Israel. It can only be a support effort because Clausewitz said that war is political intercourse by other means. So it needs to be supporting a political agenda and cannot be the main player on the media battle space because that just makes Israel over militarized which is already seen, seems to be sometimes. So, and what do you think about the claim that in, uh, in the modern uh, era, right, like now, 2021, now you win wars in the com communication field, in public diplomacy, in awareness, not uh, in the field or uh, boots on the ground or uh, etc. So there are basically three core battlefields where uh, where uh, the, the crisis, the war, the conflict evolves on in parallel. You have the physical battlefield, obviously the boots on the ground, where you have to be victorious on the ground, otherwise why, is, why do you go to war? You have to be decisive, you have to have a, a victory. There's the political and legal battleground, which is diplomacy and the legal aftermath of the, of the, of the conflict. And the third one, I would say, is the media battleground. Um, it's very hard to be victorious on all three. But I would say that the media and the social media are extremely important. And as we've seen, uh, presidents, prime ministers, they've utilized so social media to broaden their support bases. Silence in the media, and even more nowadays in, on the social media, is not an option. If you're silent, you cede the subject matter to the opponent. If you're silent, your opponent determines the pace of communications. And if you're silent, you're depriving your supporters any ammunition. So there is no possibility in this day and age not to be present in the media and social media battlefields. And um, one, being on the, uh, effective on the media battlefields, being effective on the diplomacy battlefield and being effective on the physical battlefield they need to converge into one core plan in order to be successful in all. But you can be victorious like we were in Yom Kippur War in 1973 on the battlefield, but it is perceived as a diplomatic failure. Or you can be victorious in uh, the Second Lebanon War um, uh, and that is perceived as a public failure. So you have, to, you have to be able to deliver the goods on all three and therefore you need to invest in all three arenas. 
So now let's uh, finish with another example and go uh, to the events during the May war with Gaza known as Guardian of the Worlds. The IDF brought down several high-rise uh, buildings in Gaza, among them one housing uh, foreign media. It was become evident that uh, Israel did not know these media uh, were renting space in the building before it, uh, bombing it. And it's also important to note that all the buildings were given advance warning and everyone got uh, out in time. But how can one explain what is uh, perceived as a colossal fiasco? As we both know, Peter, according to Israeli intel, that specific building also housed Hamas offices and their activity was harming Israeli Iron Dome anti-missile defenses. In such cases, would you make the difficult decision of publishing the relevant intelligence information in order to make your case in the court of public opinion? Well, Ben, I don't necessarily agree with the premise of the question. The IDF did know that media organizations were in this building. During my tenure as the international spokesperson, I double-checked that our intelligence and the Southern Command knew that where the international media were located. In 2014, in the war, in the conflict in Gaza in 2014, AP called me up and asked that the Israel Air Force do not respond to rockets being launched from outside their offices in the Jalal Al-Jalal building. We didn't. Um, the IDF at that time had maps that included protected and sensitive locations, places like the UN, Red Cross, diplomatic missions, international organizations, and the international media. So the question needs to be twofold, really. It's, was it absolutely necessary to destroy the entire building? And if so, how do you mitigate the expected international fallout? On the first question, uh, whether it was absolutely necessary, I don't know. In the past, the IDF and the Israeli Air Force has targeted specific rooms in specific buildings, even when there were media in that building. This is a question that the IDF still has to, in my view, has to answer. Was it absolutely necessary? We do know that uh, uh, Major General Nitsan Alon, who was asked and tasked to uh, review the, the operation uh, Guardian of the Walls, that he called it an own goal, meaning that the operational advantages did not outweigh the political and, and diplomatic fallout afterwards. Um, so the second question really, I think, is do we, was it, uh, what were the tools needed? Uh, and this relates to what you asked in order to um, uh, make a case for, for it. And I definitely believe that uh, the IDF, the Defense Ministry, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and the, ultimately the Prime Minister were too slow. Uh, live images of the be building being targeted as it happened, live streamed um, on social media and on international networks without the accompanying supporting information that you highlighted, sent a message around the world that Israel is attacking the world media in an attempt to forcefully censure the media. Now, we know that that is not the modus operandi of Israel, of the IDF. Um, it, like, like, it's, like General it's, Alon said exactly, an, an own goal. An own goal. It, ultimately, it spiraled Israel into a diplomatic and media crisis that shifted the debate from Hamas launching rockets at Jerusalem and Israel to Israel attacking the free press. Now, that's not what the IDF intended. That's not what the government of Israel intended. It's not what the prime minister wanted. So why did we not put the tools in place in order to mitigate that crisis 
if it was absolutely necessary to destroy the entire building. I still, I mean, we still, we still as, as uh, civilians and citizens of state of Israel, still don't have answers for these questions. And this is why when General Alon said, said uh, uh, two weeks ago that it was an own goal, um, it again reached the front pages of, of, the, of the of national media. Lieutenant uh, Colonel Reserved Peter Lerner, it was very, very interesting. I thank you again for joining us here in, uh, on Israeli Al Monitor. We'll take a short break now and uh, be back right after it with some final thoughts. Thank you. Toda, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for uh, staying with us, and uh, let's talk about the, the bottom line and the headline, in my opinion, of this conversation with Peter Lerner. When I asked him in the beginning, how come Israel is such a brilliant cyber, high-tech, uh, sophisticated uh, satellite-launching state, cannot deal with, uh, with public diplomacy? And he said that uh, it's really the fundamental question that everybody that is involved in trying to explain Israel to the world is asking himself. And uh, Lerner said that he doesn't believe that uh, this is the, the real situation. And uh, he, he proved that Israel is very good in uh, improvisation, in solving problems, in emergency situations, but uh, when when we come to public accountability, this is very limited in Israel. And he said that it seems that uh, when our founders uh, appealed uh, to the in the Declaration of Independence to the nations of the world to help upbuild the Jewish state and uh, receive Israel into the family of nations, Israel since then. Uh, is not appeared willing to do its part uh, in order to be a real member of this family. Lerner said that, uh, in his opinion, when Israel is trying to explain itself and uh, make what we call Hasbara in public diplomacy, it should go or deal or uh, take care in a three a target. Uh, audiences. One, the first one is the decision makers, of course. The second one is the largest one, the vast majority of the world. Uh, uh, he called them the indifferent or uh, uh, under-informed uh, uh, population in, in the world. And the third uh, group is the, the key supporters of Israel. 
Lerner said that until now, in the last 12 years, the, the public diplomacy of Israel was Bibi-centric. It was all about one person, very charismatic, very gifted and talented, named Benjamin Netanyahu. Now it changed. We see Yair Lapid, we see Naftali Bennett, we see others. Uh, is it changing to the better or to the worse? We don't know yet. Lerner uh, criticized uh, uh, the examples we were talking about. Uh, for example, when uh, Defense Minister Gantz declared six uh, NGOs, Palestinian NGOs, as uh, uh, terror uh, groups, and he said that uh, it looks like this orchestra does not have a conductor. And no one gave a thought before how can we uh, deal with it or explain it in advance. And he asked, who is the public diplomacy czar in Israel? By the way, he praised the, the ability of the IDF to play in the social media arena. It is very sophisticated with a lot of humor, but the IDF said Peter Lerner that served 25 years there must not be the leading communicator or the main player in front of the world because it can make Israel look over-militarized, which is not the case to anybody that knows, that really knows Israel. I hope you found it interesting, and I hope, uh, as usual, to find you here next week in On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Thank you and bye-bye. <laughs>